You get him in that rotation more often. Man, what a great job, Andrew. Thank you, Philip, for your faithfulness and leading us this morning, Andrew. And uh, nobody else probably, but maybe a couple. He, when he come up, he said, man, you need to pray. My throat hurts. This is a tough song. It's t-. He didn't make it sound tough, did he? But it's because when you're singing about the Lord and the song means something to you, it's more than just an American Idol type situation. It's more than just a laying down a track for a recording. It's lifting your voice to an audience of one. And I pray that's all of our hearts today as we look in God's Word. Turn with me to Acts 16. Acts 16, we passed the halfway mark. And uh, as we continue through the book of Acts, we've seen the first several chapters, uh, somewhere around the 6th, 7th chapter mark, we see the early church transitioning from just the local church, the Jerusalem church, to where it starts reaching out to those uh, who were the Hellenized Jews. And then through the next few chapters, we see it going on further uh, to the proselytes and then on out to the Gentiles. And here it's immersed in the gospel being presented uh, to the Gentiles. But even more, it's fixing to take another step. Now, I don't know about you, I was telling someone the other day, uh, we used to have a GPS. Now, uh, Becky posted this past week a picture of, of an old bag phone. Y'all seen her post, and still I've seen a lot of your, your comments. You're right, best cell phone we ever had. I mean, you walked around, you felt like you were part of the CIA or something, you know, and you're calling in bomb strikes and calling in drones with this bag thing, and you could hold up this whole big thing and, and look around. And uh, we were talking about some would even want people to think they had one, so they'd take an antenna and just glue it on the back window of their, their vehicle so people think they had a, a cell phone, you know. Uh, and, that, and then they got to where they were about this big. You know, the little razors and all this other, you know, where you could put it in your watch pocket. That's what that little pocket on your blue jeans, most of you didn't know that. It's a watch pocket. Uh, it's, where lint, it's not just for lint, you know. But th- things have changed. We had a GPS back then. Uh, it was called a map. And we, every year, it was like Christmas when our insurance agent would give us the State Farm Atlas. Wasn't this folding business. It was, you know, a different state on every page. And we had that thing folded off, and it went right down between the seats. And no matter where we went, it's amazing to me now how we got anywhere with that stuff. Because now you just whip out your smartphone, and it is already, and this is the scary thing, Big Brother already knows where you're at. It's put a dot on it. And all you have to do, it says location. You type it in. And if you type it in more than just a couple of times, then it will log it in and it'll pop up automatically when you put hit location. You just hit the blank and it'll pop something up. Well, just for instance, so if I'm pulling out of here and I'm wanting to go to Truett McConnell University and I have a board meeting or 
going to watch the kids play golf or I'm going up there for something, I can take my phone, pulling out of the house, before I ever even hit Lake Strickland off of Pine Ridge, I can hit location. It says home. And then when I hit that location, it will give me different different locations that I go to frequently. It will give me 3300 Old Lost Mountain Road. That's my parents' house. It will give me other places that I frequent. And it, it, every day it'll tell me seven minutes to home, eight minutes to home. It'll pop up around the time I usually would be traveling that way. I'm like, if I wanted it, I would ask you. But it does. And so I will, before I even, I don't have to type in Truett McConnell University. When I click on location, it will give me all these, and one of them is 100 Alumni Drive, Cleveland, Georgia. And I don't have to type any of that in. I just click it. And as soon as I click it, it will pop up the map, and it will give me these gray lines from where I'm at to Truett McConnell University, and then it will give me the blue one. The blue line is the preferred method. Now I can go on the top and I can click walking path. I can click car. I can click bike. I can click bus. All of these different areas, but I never do anything but the vehicle. And I click on the vehicle. It gives me basically four different directions. And one direction, the the longest direction, but sometimes uh, it can be almost the quickest, and that is to go to Macon, to Atlanta, around Atlanta, up 85, and then over to the school. That's one direction it gives me. Another direction it gives me is to go up 16, get off at Dublin, get on 441, and go that way. Another way it tells me is to go around Swainsboro, go up one, and then turn at Wrens, go that way, and go into that little greasy spot of the road. Up there, you go around, and then get on 441. And so I've removed that period, or I'm going to throw the phone away. I said, don't ever tell me that way again. Just joking. But when I go up that way, it says Lexington, little, that is a greasy spot in the road, one store, and it says you can turn right. And that's the way a lot of times I'll go. But sometimes, just to mix it up, I'll go up and go up 441 and go up uh, that way. The point is, I'm leaving one place going to a designated location. And as I want you to see today in the Scripture, that sometimes we must understand that it is the same destination just a new direction. Same destination, new direction. In our lives, as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, our destination never changes. Ever. Ever. Listen, we may break fellowship. We not, may not be in the center of God's will, but as the prodigal son uh, was, when his father looked down. Now the son's heart was, hey, I'll be glad if he just lets me be a servant. But what did the father say? There is my son. There was never a question whether he was the son or not. Listen, that... That whole story is not about someone that's lost being born again. It's about 
the son who got out of the will of the father and came back. And the father's forgiveness and love. It's more about the father than it is the son. Today, listen, in chapter 9 of Acts 16, he says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over. Come over into Macedonia and help us. This morning before Sunday school even started, one of, one of our Guatemala mission team members met me in the hall and says, I'm ready to go back to Guatemala. When can we go? I said, you know, I've heard that no less than five or six times this week. When we moved our kids in, all seven of those college students, rooms are within 50 yards of each other, and they're all piled up. And one of the girls that went with us from that little, that little town up there in North Georgia, she said, she said, man, this, this is like a Guatemala reunion. When are we going back? The head of the missions department said, hey, are y'all planning? It's going to be a regular... I said, oh yeah, it's a regular thing. We're already planning. And we'll have a meeting before long. But here's the deal. When we met with Pastor Walter, when we met uh, uh, with Pastor Gary, when we met with Karina and with Mephi and others, they said, hey, come over into Solala and help us share the gospel. It's a different direction, Glenda, from what we're used to. Christy, it's different. You know, that week we're, you know, going on vacations or we're just glad to be out of school for a little while. But yet we're getting on planes and we're flying to places we've never known, places we've never gone. Listen, in, in our lives, God tells us often, come over into Macedonia and help them. With those words, the gospel moved in a complete new direction wasn't a new doctrine as we heard last week. It was a new direction. Went from Asia to Europe. Now, I don't know about you, but I sure am glad there was a change in direction. When I look around this room today, for the largest part, we're all Eastern European. By our forefathers. It's easy. You look on the color of our skin, we're Eastern Europeans. And this chapter ought to really speak to our heart and tell us how rich in mercy God loves us. And how He had changed them. We need to understand why our destination never changes. Listen, young people, old people alike, do we worship like we did 50 years ago? Last week, I celebrated... My 47th birthday. No, I ain't lying. As a believer. Now, which one's alive and which one's dead? My birthday, my rebirth day. I was born again in first week or August 9th, 1972. 47 year birthday of when the inrush of the Spirit of God with the love of the Father through the death, burial, and resurrection, the glorious conquering of death, hell, and the grave, I was born again. And I'm a child of the living God. 
things, we don't have RAs here. We don't have sunbeams. We don't have actines or GAs. We don't do training union. I mean, they changed the name after that to discipleship training. Now, we have Truth University, but listen, things don't always stay the same. The, the directions change, but we're still... Listen, I'm not preaching any different gospel than was preached the night I was born again. It's the same gospel that was preached when this was a mission in 1952. It's the same gospel that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter preached. Today, I want us to see Often, we Christians are required to change our direction in order to arrive safely at our desired destination. Now, I want us to look at a few principles for believers about changing directions. Number one, now buckle up. Number one, new directions can be painful. Look back in chapter 15, verse 39. Y'all remember John Mark has abandoned them on the first missionary journey. They've come back. They're ready to go on another missionary journey. Barnabas says, hey, I'm ready to go, Paul. Let me call John Mark. Paul said, don't bother. He's not going with us. Oh, yeah. Don't you believe in forgiveness? I don't know how it all went. What I do know, he said right here, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder. They separated one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas. Now I want you to hear me today. New directions can often be painful. First of all, there's separation that happens. It can be tough. I'll just be honest with you. It wasn't a fight, it wasn't a fuss. It was God's leading, and, and it was a blessing. But I'll never forget the excitement of being called to a new place in ministry, excited for what the future held, having no idea what it looked like, what it was going to be like, just knowing God was speaking to our heart. And then at the same moment of that joy and fulfillment of saying, yes, Lord, knowing I had to walk in and tell my mom and dad, we're moving. We're not going to live, we're not only not going to be your pastor, we're not even going to live here, we're not even going to live in the same state. I'm taking your grandchildren and moving five hours away. Pretty traumatic, I'll just be honest with you. Even in the joy and fulfillment of serving God, it was tough. Sometimes these new directions can be painful and it causes separation. Not in a often like Paul and Barnabas, in a, but sometimes it does. Sometimes when we get close to the Lord, we're serving in the direction God calls us to serve. Our family's not going to want what we've got. Any of you ever experienced that? They don't like your stand against sin. Because it convicts them. Always remember something. They're not targeting you. They're targeting the Lord. Your life, if you're serving it faithfully and for the right reason, your life just convicts theirs. You're an easy target. They, they can't see Jesus, 
So they're going to target you. But it causes separation in the family. I've been through this. I've seen this happen within families. I've seen it happen with my parents. I've seen it happen in my own life where there becomes a separation. And, and this is what they say. Oh, they just got religion. It'll fade. It's just a new fad. I'm going to tell you something. It's not a new fad. It's not even an old fad. It is life everlasting. It is the fulfillment of knowing when you go to bed at night and you get up in the morning. It may be in places that that first year in Alabama, I'll never forget. So I start, you know, coaching down there and being the chaplain with the football team and stuff. And we were going into places that they had to pipe in sunshine. I mean, I, you think I'm joking. And I would go to these places that I'd never heard of in my life. And I always, I got long legs. And school buses, they're not really worried about creature comforts. And so I didn't fit so well in the bus seats. And so I would always sit on the steps. One of the coaches would drive. And I'd sit on the steps where I could stretch my legs out. We could talk. And I can remember one night driving for what seemed like 12 hours. It probably was only two hours. But we're driving and all there is is darkness, stars, and pine trees. And it, I, I had this overwhelming sense, where on God's earth am I? Nothing looks familiar. Nothing seems familiar. And most of the people that I'm riding with, I haven't known but about two months. Who are these people? you got to rem remember, I was 40 years old when we moved away. It was not like, you know, I'm 22 and I get out. I didn't move off to college. I didn't all do all these things. I, you know, that impresses me about our students. But it was tough. Being separated, not being at home for Father's Day and Mother's Day and some of these other things that we had done all of our lives. Sometimes it causes a painful separation in friendships. Paul and Barnabas for a while was ugly. It was hard. They didn't understand why one didn't see it like the other. God had a direction. And God used it, didn't He? Separation. But also, new directions can be painful in the form of termination. I want you to think about this. Y'all remember Elisha? Y'all remember Elisha? Not Elijah, Elisha. Elisha was the successor to Elijah. He was the prodigy. And you remember the very first thing when Elijah went to him? What you y'all remember what Elisha was doing? Plowing. He was farming. He was a farmer. And listen, he was a bad dude. He had, I think it said 12, 12 yoke of oxen. Was that right? Uh, that means 24, right? He's a bad dude now. I'm just, I'm just telling you, I picture him. Y'all know me. Kelvin, you're going to love this one. You know, I always picture James and John like, you know, the road warriors. Well, I've got Elisha in my mind like Goldberg. He's his, you know, because we hear about the bald head. 
Some of y'all appreciate that, don't you? I'll be real quiet about that because I'm scared of bears. Read your Bible, you'll understand that story. So go, I mean, Elisha is plowing. He's just getting at it, man. I mean, he's, he's turning the ground up. He's got 24, these huge, massive animals. That's pulling his plow and Elijah comes up and he says, come go with me. God's got a call on your life. You know what he did ultimately? He took the plow. And in my mind, he went straight up, Gober. He just snapped the plow. He snapped it in pieces. He took and lit a fire. I don't know. He might have took two rocks and banged it together. And I don't know how he didn't have a big lighter. So, you know, leave me to my wild biblical imagination. What I do know is he killed the oxen sacrificed them on the fire he built with his plow. And he called all his family and friends in and says, God's got a call on my life. I'm going in a different direction. Now look at it. It was a termination of his vocation. He was leaving what he had always done to go be all that God wanted for him. All Peter, James, John, all they knew when Jesus had died, and during that period before He came to them on the shore in John 21, all they knew really was to fish. They had went right back fishing. And Jesus had to reiterate when He says, Peter, do you love Me? He was saying, Peter, your call, your direction is different. It's different. It's the same as I told you when I first called you. Your direction is to fish for men, not for fish. Now you can do it for fun, but you don't have to do it for a living anymore. It's a termination. Some, listen, sometimes God wants you out of what you've always done so that you can be everything He wants you to be. Sometimes it's a termination of our past. It, you know, isn't it amazing how the good old days isn't really good? They're just old sometimes when we start talking about them. And have you ever caught yourself lying and thinking, that ain't the way it happened. I'm just trying to make it sound good. I'll be honest with you, I love a dishwasher. Don't know how to load it, don't know how to turn it on. Just glad it's there. But I do know how to wash them by hand. Because I had to learn that as soon as I could stand tall enough to reach over in the sink. Because we wasn't going to go to bed at night and get up the next morning and be dirty dishes in the sink. That wasn't going to happen in our house. Any of y'all grow up like that? I washed Brother Rinsed. That's the way life was. Listen, I, put, I, I cut grass as soon as I was able to push a lawnmower, I cut the grass. And my grant, we had pin oaks. Not white oak. Not maple. We had pin oaks that were 70-something years old in my grandparents' yard and our yard. And guess what? My grandmother come from the, from the days of sweeping the yards. Now we had grass, but she wasn't going to let no dead pin oak leaf just lay there and deteriorate like God meant for it to. If it was, it was going somewhere else. And usually she believed in that whole ashes to ashes and so she wanted them piled up, raked every single week 
and burn. I'm, I'm not really so excited about some of those old days. I like some of the new ways of doing things. I like big lawnmowers that mulches. I like blowers that blow everything off and you ain't got to sweep everything. I love some of the new... Don't y'all like remote controls on your TV? Any of you ever have to get up there and your daddy said, no, move it over that way? Y'all young people don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. And we panic when a little storm goes through and knocks our satellite out for a little while. Oh, how quick we forget. But some of the good things, some of the things that our flesh really relished in, God says, I, I, I don't need to hear that from you. You need to separate yourself from your past. Paul said, I count it all loss. He said, all my past. He said, I had the credentials my resume surpassed everyone else's, but I counted all loss for Christ. Possessions. Can you imagine 12 pair of cattle, what it must have cost back then? The value. And not only that, I've got two plows that were my grandfather's. One's a regular plow, you'd use a mule or whatever, and one is a man plow. You say, what? It's a man plow. It was for broke folks like my parents and grandparents were, and you had a smaller plot of land, and my daddy and my uncle would pull the plow for my granddaddy. I've still got it. I'll show it to you. You don't believe me? I'll show it to you. We don't do things like that anymore. I love them big tractors. I love tractors. I, I, love, I love to ride on them, love to drive them. I like when it gets up there where they got, they got eight wheels on them. And they're just massive. I, I love to see when they're, they're showing out west when they got 32 row pickers. And when they're doing something, man, that's just amazing what they can do. But God sometimes says, hey, the past is the past. Leave it there. Let's move on. East side, we ought to thank God for our past, but we've got a future. Y'all hear me? Possessions. Sometimes we have to be willing to give up those possessions and willing to go back to plowing it by hand if we must. Everything's not easy. We're not going to turn the world upside down just pointing and clicking some buttons on a smartphone. It's going to be when we're in our streets, on our knees, sharing the gospel and praying for God to move in our lives. And as we move forward, y'all want the best sound equipment? You want the best productions when our kids do Christmas programs and things like that? It all costs money. That bus, man, I'm thankful for that bus. It costs money. Especially when the motor goes bad and you don't expect it. But you know what? God is faithful. You are faithful to God and we had it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But you know, is this all God wants for us? Does God want us to move forward in a new direction, same destination? We've got to be willing to give up those possessions and our plans. He says, I know the plans I have for you. 
He doesn't say, I know the plans you have for you. Have a good time and I'll just help you whatever you want, whenever you want. That's not God's way. God says, you'll be surrendered to my will or not. You'll either go the way I want or you'll go the way you want. But I can assure you, my way is a lot better and much more joyous. So, new directions can be painful. But I want you to notice new directions can be complicated. Look in chapter 16, verse 6 through 8. So we know he hears this vision at the end. And for the sake of time, you'll read and you'll see where they went throughout all these places and these regions, but God shut the door on every single one of them. It said in the latter part of verse 7, but the Spirit suffered them not. God says, no, not there. Well, how about Troas? No, not there. How about Galatia? No, not there. How about Mysia or Bithynia? What about Phrygia? What about these places? God says, no! Macedonia. Macedonia. But here's, here's, here's the wild thing. I want you to hear this. Matt, you need to hear this. Often, God first shows us what He doesn't want before He shows us what He does want. Y'all hear what I'm saying? No, not there. No, not there. No, not there. No, not now. God first oftentimes shows us what He doesn't want. God shows us He does not want us to do this. He does not want us to do that. Can I be real honest with you? I've prayed about a mission partnership for years and years before I ever came here. One of the most exciting times I ever had was going to the Ukraine. Man, I was so excited to go over there. We we flew into... uh, Budapest, Hungary, unbelievable, historical, beautiful town. If you ever see those Viking cruise lines, it's always a picture of Castle Hill right down on the Danube River looking at the chain bridge. Had supper right there. Sat right there and looked at that most beautiful sight. Remembered, knew the history of of the Nazis marching down those cobblestone streets and then communism and and Americans being able to push some of that out and and then how it gained its liberty and how it has become such a metropolitan city. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous place. And then we got on the Autobahn and drove out and crossed into the Ukraine. And there, walked into the Hungarian University and taught students from all over the country English. And we did it like our forefathers did in America. We used the Bible to teach them English. We used American cultural studies. And we used Scripture. And we went into the gypsy villages and we met with pastors and we ate breakfast, lunch, and supper with them every day. And I was excited. And God says, no, not here. A year and a half later, I was moving my family seven hours to a place I'd never been before called Claxton, Georgia. God's country. The promised land. 
I was so relieved, I said, I will not be late for the rapture. Back on God's time. Listen, after a half dozen attempts, they were still not able to get any peace about God's directives. Where was God leading them? Why so many no's? Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like that? You ever thought, well, what, God, what do you want? God, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried this. Sometimes He tells us what not to do and where not to go first. But then sometimes His directions are to wait. Just wait. It's coming. It's coming. Just wait. Now you need to understand, the most patient person in this room does not wait well when it comes to the scheme of eternity. We want it. We want it now. That's the problem with going through the drive-thrus and remote controls. Y'all remember dial-up internet? And then you're like, are you on the phone? Get off the phone! I need to get on the internet! Y'all remember that, don't you? And now we're mad if it buffers for three seconds. See, I think I've heard this at my house. Why can we not get Wi-Fi? Because AT&T is terrible. I don't, you know, I can get a bunch of amens there. But we got hot spots on our phone. Say, so, hey, we can use that. We can get a little hot spot. We do. We'll make do. We'll live. Do you know when we went to Guatemala, they have better coverage. We never lost coverage anywhere. Up in the volcanoes, at the lake, 8,000 feet above sea level, maybe that's the reason. You can't get on Metter Highway more than three seconds. You done lost coverage. That's just the truth. And if you get on that road I talked about, going around Comer and up through that God-forsaken part of the Georgia, you ain't going to get no coverage over there either. I said Comer, not the other place. Listen, sometimes God wants us to be still and buffer. Buffer. Sometimes we just need to sit down and let that thing spin a while in our life. Let the Spirit just spin for a while. I don't know about you, that drives me crazy. When it does it on the computer and when God does it in my life. I want it now. I need it done now. God, show me what we need for each side. We need to to take it. We need to run. We need to go. Sometimes He said, wait, but sometimes God will make His plan. Well, He always makes them clear. Not sometimes. God tells us, I just read through 1 Corinthians. He said, for God is not the author of confusion. God doesn't dangle a carrot out there trying to get us motivated. Either we're, we're motivated or we're not. He doesn't have to pull tricks. He doesn't have to blow smoke. You remember when Elijah looked for him in the clouds and in the thunders and the lightnings, the storms? But when did he hear God? In a still, small voice. When God was buffering in his life. God will make his plans clear when it's time. Right? Well, how do you know if it's the right one to marry? 
You'll know. God will tell you. But listen, don't just think with a fleshly heart. Think with a spiritual mind. Praying, God, is this the one? Is this the job He wants for me? Is this the school I need to go to? Is this the profession you would have me in? You know why a lot of people are not doing what they majored in? Because they never ask God, what do you want? And they can't find any joy in it. Listen, God will make His plans clear. If it's not Galatia, if it's not Mysia, if it's not Troas, God has a Macedonia for your life. Some of you should have been on that plane and in Guatemala. I got wonderful news. You'll have another chance if the Lord doesn't come back next summer. If not before then. You'll have an opportunity to right that which was wrong. We must act on the knowledge we have. Listen, Abraham, when God called him out of Ur, he was done there. He wasn't to go back. He was to leave. He said, where, are you, where am I going? Where I tell you? When am I going to get there? When you get there? What am I going to do? Whatever I tell you to. It was a bunch of big question marks. We don't like that. We want it in triplicate and we want to initial it seven times and sign every other page twice. We want contractual, sturdy, absolute, poured in concrete plans. And God says, without faith it's impossible to please me. Just go. Just go. Well, let me ask you, what does God not want for you? We often say, what's God want in your life? Andrew, sometimes I think we need to go up to our students and say, hey, let me ask you something. What does God not want for you? To avoid. I wish somebody had asked me that when I was younger. Most of the time it was just everybody telling me what I should do and all, all this. Sometimes we, we need to ask the question, not tell. What does God not want in your life? Well, there's some very obvious things. God doesn't want us to sin. But then notice three people, real quickly, that found new direction. Three people that found new direction. First of all, we see new directions for the religious. Verse 13 through 15, we hear about a woman by the name of Lydia. And on the Sabbath, said in verse 13, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Notice, first of all, this woman was successful. She was a seller of purple cloth, which was associated with high social rank. What do we always drape over the cross that rec recognizes royalty? Purple. It was always royalty. And you see, this purple dye was obtained from the shells of the murex, an ocean mollusk. And so it was a lot of money to get, get this procured, to bring it, go through the processes, and use it 
to dye this unbelievable royal purple. This woman was successful, but she was shallow. You see, she had went with the other women down to the river. So, but yeah, but it says she was a praying woman. Yeah, but she didn't know who she was praying. It wasn't any different than we'll see next week in chapter 17 where they prayed to an unknown God. They were down there praying to the Old Testament God. They didn't have a, a tabernacle, a temple, and so they would just gather down by the river and they would go through. She was very devout in her Old Testament way of religion. She was successful but shallow. There was no depth in her faith. Now you can take this one of both ways and I can't tell you for truth either way. She could have either been born again by her faith and not have been baptized and gone deeper. She may have heard the gospel and trusted Jesus Christ before or she may have just been religious but lost. Can I tell you, that I was handed a six-page paper, Excel spreadsheet, six pages. And I'm not talking about 25 lines per page. I'm talking about 40 to 50 lines per page. I was handed six full top-to-bottom pages of names. You know who those names were? Members. Members! Not enrolled, not came to Bible school, not enrolled in a Sunday school class. Walked the aisle, baptized, joined by letter, members of Eastside Baptist Church that haven't darkened the doors in years. That live right here in Evans County. Not inactive, not living in another state, not living somewhere else. Live right here. Live beside you. Across from you. Next street over. You probably drove by 15 houses of them this morning. Members at Eastside Baptist Church. They may be born again or they may not be. They may have a form of godliness but denying the power there. You say, well, you shouldn't be a judge. I'm not judging them. But what I can judge is the fruit. And if there is no fruit on the tree, there is no spirit. Because where the spirit is, there will be fruits of the spirit. That's right. Stick an amen right there. We're all about this. Don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. You know why most people say that? It's because they don't want anybody revealing the depth of their sin. They want to just do whatever they want, however they want, whenever they want, and not anyone say anything to them. But I don't know if you know it or not. We got judges. We got judges in the city. We got judges in the county. We got judges in the state. We've got federal judges. And we've got Supreme Court judges. And nobody's disbanded that because they're not supposed to. Well, that's different. How is it different? God ordained judges way before He ordained kings. So many are successful, but shallow. She needed to change a direction. She was a worshiping woman, faithfully attending worship services. Some of us come and go week after week. We say, great message, preacher. We slip out the side door so we don't have to say something to the preacher. We'll come once every once in a while. And we'll come. If nothing else gets away, we'll come. Is that what God wants? 
God wants a new direction in your life. Starting today. Not September 1st. Not October 1st. Not through some big campaign. But today, in the sincerity and the trueness of your heart, you surrender and say, God, I'm tired of living the shallow life. I'm tired of living a life that is fraudulent where I've tried to show everybody I'm okay, but I'm not. I'm lost and without hope and I will die and go to hell. Lord, forgive me and save me. You may have been one of the longest members at Eastside Baptist Church. I'm going to tell you something and it may break your heart. That is not going to get you into glory. You say, well, I... I don't believe in all this roll around baptism back when I was with boy. I don't care if you were baptized in Niagara Falls. If you are lost, you went in a sinner and you came out a sinner. The only difference is you just a wet sinner. The washing of regeneration is the Spirit inrushing that which was dead and making us alive. But baptism, hear me, is not a consideration. It's not up for a vote. God said through His Son, be baptized. It is to tell the world outwardly what He did inwardly. Some of you need to get baptized. Some of you need to get your baptism in order. You were baptized as a child. You got baptized because everybody else did. You said whatever made the preacher or your parents believe everything was okay. You got baptized in that group from Bible school and you went with the other crowd, but you didn't get saved till later. You need to get your baptism in order where it's believer's baptism. She Listen, she was worshiping, but she was weak. There was a shallowness to her life. Is church something you do because you have to? Or something you do because you get to. Do you need it? I'm going to just tell you something. I need all I can get. If they in Acts 2 needed it and went day to day, and we think we don't need prayer meeting, I bet you'll need prayer meeting if you as Peter locked up in jail. It, it amazes me how many we pray for on Wednesday night that are never here. Do you know in 1 Corinthians 11, he tells us that many are sick in the body of Christ because they're taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? Matter of fact, he said some are dying because of it. Read it, it's chapter 11. She was worshiping, but we... But the gospel effects change. You see in verse 10, it said, the Lord called them to preach the gospel. So in verse 14, it said, her heart the Lord opened. What is it God is trying to open in your life? What is God trying to get you to see? You see, Lydia found a new direction. And it was not the old religion. The new direction for the deceived. Look in verse 16, and, and I really want to hammer this. Y'all hang with me for just a minute. Many of you don't have to come back tonight. We've got our, our Sunday school workers meeting. I want you to really hang with me on this. He said in verse 16, And it came to pass, as they went to prayer, a certain damsel, a young, young lady, I don't know, 
13, 14 years old. All right, so right now, can you picture a 14-year-old girl? Okay. Seventh grade, eighth grade maybe, somewhere around that age. Okay, you got it? This certain damsel was possessed with a spirit of divination. And she met them. She met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. She was being pimped out in sorcery. The same followed Paul and us and cried saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God which show us the way of salvation. And this she did many days, but Paul being grieved turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now I want you to really, really camp out with me for just a minute on this. Number one, she was not in control. She run around like she was, pointing and said, hey, look at them. Look what I can do. I can come in and I can tell you the future. I can do this. But you didn't see that surly, sorry, useless, sinful, vile man standing behind a curtain telling her what to do. Today is no different than that day. There are young girls and young boys that are being exploited throughout the world through human trafficking today. She was being exploited. She was being sold to the highest bidder. She was not in control of her own life. Listen, there are young people in our community that their mothers, their guardians are pimping out to go and try to get free things and get free stuff and try to get whatever they can to make their life easier where they won't have to do anything. There's two or three people in this room could tell you tales that would absolutely make you want to throw up. Do you know there's a thing that Georgia Baptist does now in Atlanta called the Unholy Tour? And it is from a girl that escaped the, the sexual exploitation that had happened in her own life. God saved her and delivered her. And she now takes ministers and takes people from Georgia Baptist Church or anyone else and they get on a, a tour bus and they go all through around Atlanta and show them places that are exploiting people and showing them how it is because pastors say, well, it ain't going on. We're in a little small town. Y'all ever see? Y'all ever watch local news? You ever see what happens in Effingham and Ellabelle? And do you ever see when they make the big bus that there are names that has Claxton on it? It happens right here. It happens to our neighbors. You say, ain't my neighbor. They live over on that side of town. If they live here, they're your neighbor. Let's not forget who is near and dear to Jesus' heart. It was the children. This was a child deceived by the things of the world. She was not in control. She thought, hey, I don't know. Her parents may have been dead. And she was a street child and she was trying to make ends meet. And she bought into whatever they were selling. She was being exploited. By these men, they were profiting. It says so. They got mad. 
when she was saved. You know she was unhappy. She was living a shallow, disappointed, empty existence. And knowing if it would have continued these girls that live in this lifestyle, do you know what happens to most of them? They don't end up going to college. They say, oh, I'm going to do this. They, get it. they quit school and then they get their GED and they say, hey, I can make $500 a night. And now the big thing is they don't have to go to the clubs to work. They do it over the internet. Man, if you're doing that, stop before God strikes you dead. And the one thing that will solve the problem is when you're tempted, I want you to ask, I want you to ask yourself, what if that was my daughter? And then I want you to look at it and say, what if that was my mother? And then I want you to picture in your mind the sweetest, most godly teenager and think, what if that was her? What if it was my sister? Would you let people talk about your sister the way you're thinking about her on the screen? Men, pornography is one of the worst sins because it's hidden now. You can hide all that stuff. They call it a gentleman's club? Are you for real? Listen, it is sick what the world is doing. You say, oh, come on, preacher, it's, it's harmless. These girls don't grow up and become nurses. They don't grow up and have happy marriages and have three children and become grandmothers. They're found on posters missing or OD'd on heroin with a needle stuck in their arm. They're buried in pauper's grave with no names and no headstones. Does anybody deserve that? Church, this girl needs a new direction. And these girls and boys, and it's not just girls. Dr. Canner was telling me last week when they were overseas uh, going on these, these tours, going through Croatia and the Czech Republic and stuff, and they went to a place that where human trafficking was going on, and they were not prepared, either one of them, fully. He said, I understood it, but Hannah, my wife, didn't, didn't understand what she was about to see because when they were brought to this place where this human trafficking go, was going on, it wasn't just happening to the 13, 14-year-old girls. It was happening to the 8 and 9-year-old boys. And the little boys means the same much to God as the little girls. We're seeing this exploitation everywhere. And by the way, you say, well, they're old enough to know better. Stuff I look at, they're not kids and I can't go to jail for it. You may not go to jail for it, but you'll smell like hell for doing it. That's somebody's daughter. That is somebody's daughter. She was being exploited. Listen, even non-demon-possessed people can suffer like this church, this little girl. Meth, liquor, prescription drugs, pornography, all these things can be a force much more powerful than a person can control. But look in verse 18. She did this day after day. Paul being grieved. Are we grieved for our world? Are we grieved for this sin? Paul turned to her and called out in the name of Jesus Christ. And she trusted. And the Lord changed her. 
Now her, he changed her direction and her destination. But I want you to hear something A.W. Tozer said, and listen to this. A gospel that does not confront sin is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. A gospel that does not confront sin is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And can I take it a step further? A church that does not preach the gospel that condemns sin and lifts up Jesus Christ uh, uh, as dying for sin is not really a church at all. It's a civic organization. Paul and Silas introduced her to a force greater than the one controlling her. He said, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Evil can control us, or God can. And then, in conclusion, a new direction for the dedicated. Y'all know the story. The Philippian jailer. This was... And I hadn't watched one all year long, but I sat there last night and watched the Bristol night race. I love the night race. I love the little bull ring. You saw all that stinking race. You always talk. I, I, that's just who I am. I'm good with that. I mean, they line up two porta potties, put wheels on the engine. I'm going to watch them. Matter of fact, I have watched it on Duck Dynasty. Once again, speaks to who I am. That's who the Philippian jailer was. He wore camouflage turrets, I don't know. He had a camouflage shroud. The jailer was a modern day NASCAR dad. I mean, he was Bubba Baptist. Hard working, I mean, took pride in his job, pride in his family, did it with all of his being. But probably had very little serious religious affiliation. So I want you to notice in verse 27, he was hopeless. The keeper of the prison awakening, and remember what happened. God, earthquake and the prison doors shook open and Paul and Silas could have got up and left and the keeper awoke out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword because he knew his life would be required. If I'm not mistaken, when Peter, when God broke him out, they killed those guards. And he knew that would happen in his life. And he drew out the sword to kill himself. He was that dedicated to his job. But Paul cried with a loud voice, said, do yourself no harm, for we're all here. He was hopeless. Every day we walk by people that's empty, hopeless. They have no hope. They feel like their life is over. They're, they're, they're past that age. They've missed their chance. they failed. Listen, they've been divorced twice. They, they've been in prison. They, they've been fired from a job. They, whatever it may be, they haven't succeeded and they've not met the standard they thought in their mind they should meet. And they feel absolutely, utterly hopeless. I'm telling you, there's hope for the hopeless. Paul said, don't do yourself any harm. I'm telling you here today, don't harm yourself. There's hope in Jesus Christ. He tells us that very vividly in this context. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and you shall be saved and your house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. He found hope for the men who could have exacted his death because of escape. But God spoke. It doesn't record this. But why, why would you stay there if you'd, God had swung the gates wide open to leave? God said, just, just take a deep breath. Just stay right here. I got something right here. It may not seem like the right direction right now. I know the gates are open. I, I did it. Paul, Silas, I want you to be still for just a minute. Have you ever thought, I should have been going on in something, and you may not understand why, but you didn't move, and then God uses you? You're like, oh, that's why. That's why. He found hope in Christ. We see His salvation. And then we see, not only had He been hopeless, and He found the hope, but we see His light. His faith was evident. If you really know Jesus Christ, I'm talking about know Him as your Lord and Savior. There, as I said earlier about the fruit, your faith will be evident. Isn't that what James says? James says, I will show you my faith by my works. For faith without works is a dead faith. The Philippian jailer showed forth his faith, his life by his works. Good works, kindness. He cleaned the wounds of the one he was keeping in prison. Are you willing to do that? People mistreat you. You say, well, he only says turn the cheek. But I ain't got but two cheeks. That's the dumbest, most unchristlike thing you could ever say. He told Peter, Peter trying to figure it all out. You know, Peter, how many times should we forgive him? Seven times seven? Well, he gave him a mathematical equation. Peter was a fisherman. He couldn't figure out 490. He was, Jesus was speaking in a metaphor. He was saying, as many times as they offend you, forgive them. There's just some people put on this earth to offend us. Right? I mean, come on. You ain't never looked at Elizabeth Warren? If I offended you, I'm not sorry. Listen, his faith was evident because, listen, hear me today. Elizabeth Warren needs Jesus. Y'all hear me? Maybe we wouldn't be so consumed and overwhelmed. Trump needs Jesus. Bernie Sanders needs Jesus. Nancy Pelosi needs Jesus. No jokes. No jokes. I'm being serious. Pray. Pray. Did God not change Nebuchadnezzar? Did He? He took a wild man grazing with the cattle and grazing with the goats and changed him. Did he change Saul, a murderer that hated Christians? Listen, this man's faith was evident. He became evangelistic. He went his, won his whole family to the Lord. He was joyful and said that he rejoiced. He went from a suicide attempt to rejoicing. Now the only thing that can do that is Jesus. Listen, this Philip comes. God sent a group of believers, Paul and Silas, in a new direction. Same destination, going toward glory, but a different direction. As a result, 
Believers and non-believers alike, direction changed. Lydia, a demon-possessed girl, a jailer, families began walking in a new direction. Perhaps God brought you here today. You didn't know. You're like, why? I, I just feel like we need to go there today. I think we need to go. Maybe God brought you here today so that you could experience a new direction in your life. And I'm not just talking about being a member at Eastside. I'm talking about being a faithful child of God. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to come. I can't pray salvation into you, but come take me by the hand and say, I want to pray to receive Christ. And I, I just want to pray beside you and encourage you while you trust God as your Savior. You need to come and be baptized because you are a believer, but you're walking out of the will of God. You need to come and surrender your possessions, your time, your past, whatever it is. Now's the time. God, it's time for a new direction. Here I am. Lord, use me. Stand and come. Stand and come. Step out on that new direction right now. The first step changes your whole future. Right now, come to Jesus. Spare.